Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. If you would open your Bibles to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. And as we're doing that, our children are dismissed to Kids Dome. Lou, I hear a funny echo. I hear some kind of echo. I don't know where it's coming from, but it's, I know it's coming at me. That's for sure. I'm not sure what it is. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. Gospel of John chapter 3, we will begin reading in verse 1. When you got it, say so. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his, or can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Father, we thank you so much for your word that is truth. We thank you for the privilege that we have to be in your presence, the privilege that we have to worship your name. And Holy Spirit, we just thank you for being with us now. And we ask, Lord God, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church, God. We pray that you would enable us not to just be hearers of your word, but doers of it, that we would respond in faith today, Lord God. I pray that each of us would hear you as you speak to us and that we would receive what you're communicating, Lord God, and that we would turn to you in faith, however you call us today. Father, may you be glorified in our lives, and we ask you this all in Jesus' good name. Someone said? You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so if you do not have an outline, raise your hand really quickly. We want to make sure everyone has an outline. Outlines are important for two reasons. I remind you of this every week. One reason is so that way you can follow along in the introduction of the sermon and you are able to take notes. You'll notice that there are some questions in this outline and the purpose of those questions brings me to the second reason why these outlines are important. It is because we connect weekly with one another in what we call our Connect Life Groups. These are our small groups that meet in different homes, different times, different days of the week. We get together and what we do in those is we have a time of fellowship We have a time that we go over the sermon and we discuss what we're learning. We encourage everyone, if you are not part of a Connect Life group, that you get connected. It is very important that you get connected and that way you are able to grow the way that God wants you to grow. Two things are important that we realize in Connect. Number one is that I need you. Number two is you need me. And so that's the reality is that we all need one another and we don't grow the way that God has called us to grow by ourselves. Amen? 
All right, so we're continuing on in our series, The Real Jesus, and in your outline there, you'll see, continuing in our series, The Real Jesus, we now get to see the first lengthy lesson that Jesus gives on the most important topic, and that is being born again. Now, in our days, there's a, there's, there's a lot of terms and a lot of words that we don't necessarily talk about, and sometimes we don't really fully understand what it means. And so today, we're going get, to get, get, get into and be very clear on what it means to be born again. Being born again is something. The resurrection separates Christianity from all other religions. Why? Because our God is a living God. He's not a dead God, right? And so we know that the resurrection separates us, but there's something else that separates us as well, and it is that we are promised not just a... a, a uh, some rules on how to do things. We're not promised um, some direction in life. We're not just promised success, but we are promised this thing called being born again. If you are a Christian, that sets us apart as well because you are part of a born-again community. You are something, you, you are a person who is different than everyone else who is walking on this planet. And so these things separate us, and it's important for us to understand them. And Jesus gives a wonderful breakdown for us to understand what this really means to be born again. Now, why is this important for us? One thing is that the reason why this is so important is because, or, or look at the outline here, there is no greater lesson of more importance for all mankind than the one Jesus taught Nicodemus regarding our need to be born again in order to see and enter the kingdom of God. This reminds us that salvation is a sovereign work of God to which man must respond in faith. And so this becomes one of the most important lessons for us to learn, one of the most important lessons for us to understand, because when we're talking to someone about coming to Jesus, we use words like being saved, you know, or salvation, and what does this all mean? And so when we're talking about someone being born again, that is really what we're calling them, that we're calling them into this relationship where they now have this new life in Christ, and it's only given by the work of God sovereignly. Understand this. I can't make you born again. You can't make yourself born again. You can't do anything, right? There's nothing that you can do except what? Believe. Trust. Faith in Christ. But now belief, and we'll talk about this in a, in a moment, belief is not just a, you know, a word, well, I believe. No, 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 no. Do you really believe? See, because here's the thing, the hope of the believer is, is, in, is in an eternity, this is in your outline, last paragraph, the hope of the believer is in an eternity with the risen Savior. I talked about that when we were doing communion. We look forward, this, this hope that we have that is within us is to be with this risen Savior for the rest of our lives. Yet many profess, they professed, many professed Christians have not been born again, and the evidence is a lack of new life marked by new desires, new pursuits, and new purpose. Are you here? You see, because when I am born again, it's not just about a profession or even a confession of faith or, you know, me communicating something with my mouth. There needs to be an exchange of life that occurs, right? There needs to be something that happens. When I came to Jesus, I had a lot of desires. I mean, things that I, I really desire to do, things that I really enjoy doing. And when I came to Jesus, those desires changed dramatically and continue to change. They, I was talking to someone, um, I, I forget when it was, I, it was, it was sometime last week, and we were discussing television programs and, and movies and stuff. And, you know, he was like, man, do you go to the, do you, you know, do you watch movies and stuff like that? I'm like, yeah, I watch movies. I said, you know, but when I first became a Christian for like the first two years of my life, all sincerity, and nobody told me this because this wasn't like a rule in our church or something like that. But for two years, I never even went to the movies. I didn't even turn the TV on for like the first two years of being a Christian. 
And it, and it wasn't because it's just, oh, you're, everybody's like, I'm so holy. I'm not so holy. I'm just saying that that's not what I'm trying to communicate. What I'm saying is I really had a desire for God, and I didn't need to do those other things. And I didn't, I, I didn't have that drawing, that thing that was drawing me to that. Is there something wrong with watching TV? No, there's nothing wrong with that. Something wrong with going to the movies? No, there's nothing wrong with that either. But what I can say to you is this, is that your desires should demonstrate new life. The things you're pursuing should demonstrate new life. We were watching a video in our men's, in our men's meeting on Saturday, and as Pat Morley was sharing his testimony, he was talking about purpose, and he said that he began to pursue certain things, and he had this, this desire to make a lot of money, and so he was like, you know, the way that I, the, what I did was, you know, I got into real estate because I figured that I could make a lot of money doing that, and so he's like, I'm ashamed that, that was, those are my motives, but nonetheless, that's how I got into it because I wanted to make the most money as quickly as I can. Is there anything wrong with making money? Someone say no, please. There's nothing wrong with making money. I mean, everybody needs money, right? I mean, I heard somebody say money makes the world go round. I mean, I think that's true, right? If you ain't got no money, you ain't going nowhere. Hello. No ticket, no laundry. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's how it is, right? I mean, seriously. So you need money. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's a problem when money has you. The issue is when the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. The Bible warns again pursuing money because when you pursue money and you pursue riches, what you end up doing is you end up compromising your faith. But when you are seeking God and you're seeking his will for your life, that's why Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew, he says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all things will be added unto you. He wasn't promising riches to everyone. What he was saying in all things, he saying all things that pertain to you, all things that you need will be added unto you. So you don't need to pursue things. You need to pursue God and those things are going to do what? They're going to be added to you. It's biblical principle, right? The truth of the matter is that, you know, we need to say, man, how have my desires changed since I came to Jesus? Oh, well, I'm a believer. Yeah, but are you a believer that demonstrates a life change? Are you someone who says, I believe, but you're living in sin? Are you someone who says you believe, but you're living your life, your way, according to your standards, according to your desire? See, those questions are extremely important. Why is that? Because of this. For too many people, Jesus is an addition to make their lives better. Jesus is not their life. Understand that. For, so, for too many people, they, they, their life was okay in their mind, but they needed to just add Jesus for fire insurance or something. You know? They need to add Jesus so that way he just made their life a little bit better. See, I'm a firm believer that every day is better with Jesus. But you want to know something? It's not just about every day being better with Jesus. My life is better because Jesus is my life. Jesus is not just some addition. You know, I, I, like, I like to say it like this. Jesus is not the cherry on top of the cake. Hello. He's not the icing. You know, he's not the filling. Jesus is the cake. Hello. The problem with us is that we want to have our cake our way and just add a little dot of Jesus. I believe, yes, I believe I need him, but really, are you being a person who is demonstrating a life that has changed? Or is Jesus some addition to your cake called your life? Jesus some addition to your decoration called your life? Or is he your life? See, the first thing here I ask you to repeat after me is this, say, we must realize the necessity of the new birth. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so the first thing I want you to notice is that Nicodemus comes to Jesus. 
Nicodemus is recognized as one of the teachers of Israel, and we'll see more of Jesus giving him props and telling him who he is. And so this is a guy that's a Pharisee, and he comes to Jesus, and he does what? He's confessing that Jesus had come from God. And notice what he says here. He says, we know. He says, Rabbi, we know. Say, we know. know. He wasn't just saying, I know. It wasn't like just him. He was saying, we know. He's talking about the people, the other Pharisees. They knew that there was something special about Jesus, right? We know that you are someone who has come from God. And so he goes on and he says in verse, in verse 3, he said, or actually he says, he, he says why. He said, because no one could do these things. But the first thing he calls him, he says, teacher, come from God. Because the one thing that the Pharisees were going to do, and it's something that you should do, it's something that we should do, is that before you start looking at all of the externals of someone's life, you need to look at the doctrine of someone's life. Are you hearing me? What do you mean by that? Look at what they really believe. Look at what they, when you come to a church, look at what they really believe. Do they believe this gospel? Do they believe the truth of scripture? Do they hold the word of God as highest authority? Those things are important because a lot of times what we'll do is we'll look at someone externally and they seem to have it all together, but their life doesn't show that they really have faith in Christ. And see, the problem is we start following the wrong people because we want the things that they have. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's a problem when you get them the way the world gets them. There's a problem when my pursuits and my desires are lined up with what? Not God's word, but lined up with other things. So we look at this, and the Pharisees, what they did is he he was like, look, teacher, you're, you're a teacher that has come from God. Because we've heard your teaching, your teaching have been blasphemous. Your teachings have been sound. Your teachings, as a matter of fact, your teachings have been with power. Because of what? Because of the signs that you're doing. Because of the things that are occurring. And so Nicodemus acknowledges who Jesus is. Verse 3, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old, right? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Or can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, right? And so he's, he's looking at this. He's like, I don't understand. How is this possible? How is someone born again? See, these are the, the kind of questions that people, if you talk about them, man, you need to be born again. They're going to be like, I don't know what you mean. How, how can someone be born again, right? Because we're taught, man, you're only born once, right? That's the reality. You live once, die once. It's like a one-time thing. And so what we have here is we have this scenario where he's like, man, I don't know how this can be. And he goes on and then he says this. Jesus says to him in verse 5, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so, without a question, Nicodemus does not ask a question. What happens is Jesus reads his heart, and Jesus begins to give him an answer to what is really on Nicodemus' heart, and it is, how is someone going to see the kingdom of God? How is someone going to enter the kingdom of God? We have these two things here, seeing and entering. And without new, without new birth, we cannot see the kingdom of God, nor can we enter the kingdom of God. And this echoes Jesus' teaching in other places where he said, one must become like a child. Remember when he says that? One must be like a child to enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, you and I can't be like we got it all together. We can't be like, yo, I know all the answers because you don't know all the answers. Hello. I was that person. I knew all the answers. I didn't need anyone to tell me anything. I had it all together. I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew exactly where I was going, even though it wasn't really hard because I was going nowhere. Hello. 
I'm just saying, right? I mean, I had dropped out. I, was, I wasn't going anywhere. You know, I was going to, you know, go get high somewhere. That's about it. That's, that, that's what I was doing. I'm straight up. I, but I knew where I was going every day. I was going to the same place, right? I had it down what I was going to be doing. But the truth is, even, at, even for us that are a little bit older, right? And, you know, you may have a career path in line. You know, you may be a young adult, have a career path in line. You know where you're going. But hold on a second. Do you realize that you cannot see the kingdom of God unless God sovereignly does something in your life? There is this thing about being born again. Something has to occur in order for me to be able to understand. We need to understand the necessity. So when he says this, so you cannot see, what does that word see mean? He's saying you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, you cannot recognize the kingdom of God. You cannot perceive the kingdom of God. You cannot discover the kingdom of God. You cannot know what to do about the kingdom of God. Listen, I can sit here and I can preach until I'm blue in the face, until I lose my voice. I can do all of that stuff, and unless God does something in your heart, you'll be blinded to the fact that you desperately need him. You can't see the kingdom of God. And if you can't see the kingdom of God, guess what you're never going to do? You're never going to enter the kingdom of God. We were driving to Bush Gardens, and um, I, was, I, I, I wear contacts. And so when I, when I wear contacts, you know, I put them in the solution. And so there's this, this one solution that I bought a long time ago, and I, and I remember now why I don't buy it anymore. But the, the, the solution is really good. I like it, right? Because what it does is you put your contacts in there. When you put the solution in, you know, most solutions, even though you don't have to do a lot, you still got to rub them. Well, this particular solution, you don't have to rub. You put it in there, and it begins to bubble up. It tells you you can't put it back in your eyes for eight hours because of, you know, whatever it is, that the peroxide, whatever's in there. And so anyway, it cleans the contacts makes them feel really good. Well, after you finish one bottle of the solution, you, ne you need to throw away the container as well, or you need to like clean it really good. Or else what happens is the next pair of contacts that you put in there, they get this film on them. And so we're driving, you know, and, and, and the whole time that we're going to Bush Gardens and we're driving, I was thanking God because I was behind Lewis and I was like, I could see his car. So I was okay because wherever he went, I went. Right? Really good. Because I was following him, I was able to see. But when I started driving by myself, hello, when I was no longer following him, I was squinting all over the place. I'm like, man, I can't see. Because what? Because if I couldn't see, I was going to miss the exit. Hello. And so the reason why I bring that up is because it's the same thing. Unless God opens your eyes, and what you need to be asking is like, God, continue to open my eyes. And don't think it's just about having your eyes open once. Hello. Your eyes must continuously be opened by the Spirit of God so you can continue to see the glory and the wonder of who God is. But the reality is God has to open your eyes because if you don't see, you're never going to enter. And so he, he explains this to Nicodemus and makes it clear. And so what does it mean to be born again? When he talks about being born again, he says some stuff here. You know, when you look at this, this verse 5, it says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so when it talks about being born again, the way that it's literally written is like this, is you must be born from above. Being born again. You must be born from above. God has to do something. Now, I want to take you to a couple, of, a couple of places in Scripture because when Jesus is talking here, he is speaking about a specific thing that was prophesied a long time ago. And whenever you look at this verse, this verse can be really confusing, but the Bible, what we learn is that Scripture interprets Scripture. In other words, if I want to know what something means over here, I need to go back to the Old Testament to figure this out, right? So let's go to the book of Ezekiel really quickly, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament after the book of Isaiah which is toward the center of your Bible, after Psalms, after Jeremiah, after Lamentations. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36. 
And we will begin reading in verse 24. So what is it that Jesus means when he's talking about you must be born of water and you must be born of the spirit? This is what we're going to look at and figure this out right here. So this is what it means to be born again. This is what God does. This is what is so necessary for us. So Ezekiel 36, verse 24 to 27, when you got to say so, it says this. It says, for I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Now, obviously, verse 24 is not talking to you and I, all right? Say amen. He's not talking to us. This is a prophecy that is specific to Israel and what God is going to do to Israel there. But look what he says here. He says in verse 25, this is when it gets specific and we apply this to what we're talking about in the book of, of John. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water. Say clean water. Okay, so we see the water thing here, right? I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. And so what we find here is that we are going to be cleansed, right? He's talking about this cleansing with this clean water, this water that is from above. We're going to be cleansed from all filthiness, from all sin. And so sin does what? Sin separates us from God. Listen, I don't care how cute you look today. I don't care how good you smell today. I don't care about any of that stuff because the truth is your sin stinks before God. Are you hearing me? Sin makes us dirty. And if I'm not God's child, then I'm filthy and I'm disgusting before his presence. But the beauty is that he offers to clean me. Hello? He offers this. He says, with this clean water, he's going to cleanse the filthiness. So that, 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 would, that would show something that occurs. But then on the inside, he says, I'm going to deliver you or remove these idols from you. Why? Because idols are the things that we long for, the things that we desire. And so he's going to change those desires. He's going to deliver us from those things, cleanse us from those. And verse 26, he says, I will give you a new heart. Say new heart. Put a new spirit within you. Say, put a new spirit. Put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And so when, 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 when Nicodemus was hearing Jesus talking about this, this is what Jesus was referencing when he was talking about you being born of water and born of the Spirit, that you had to be washed. Now, I'm going to give you these reference points. Two of them, we're not going to turn there. But the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, it's speaking to husbands loving their wives and washing them in the water of the Word of God. And so what we see is that water is also symbolic here of what? The Word of God. And he says you must be born again of what? Of water and of the Spirit. And so we know the Spirit is who? It is God himself. We must be born of the Spirit of God. But we must also be born of this water and the water being the Word of God. And then one last scripture. It is the book of Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. In the book of Titus, it speaks of our regeneration or this being born again. And it's showing us what happens when we are born again. And this is what happens. Pay attention now. The Spirit of God renews us through the Word of God that is cleansing us. And so as we are hearing God's Word, the Bible says what in the book of Romans? It says faith comes by feelings. No? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Good stories? Is that what it is? 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit uh, awakens us to the word of God and that is how we are born again because God gives us this new life and then we are born from above. We must realize that it is the work of the spirit of God through the word of God, the water, that we are granted new life. You and I cannot depend upon our morality. Good works are not good enough to save us. Hello. Good works. Listen, I, we, we've, I've had this conversation with, 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 with plenty of people, and they talk about, well, there's people that are not Christian that do good things. Can we say amen to that? Amen. There are plenty. I bet you, you know, as, as a matter of fact, I will, I will guarantee you that you know some people who are not Christians who act more Christian than some of the Christians you know. But can I tell you something? Their goodness is filthy in comparison to God's goodness. God is not going to say, well, hey, man, you know what? So-and-so, you were much better than Jason. Even though he was a Christian, you were much better than him. So I'm going to let you into heaven because of that. No. doesn't happen. Because my goodness, in comparison to his goodness, is filthy rags. So we can't depend on our morality. We can't depend on our religion, right? So just coming to church is not enough to get you into heaven. It doesn't get you to heaven. Right? You can't depend on the family you're born in. See, we, we come into family that, Christian family, and, you know, grandma's praying for me, mom's praying for me, dad's praying for me. And so we have all of these people that are praying for us. Listen, their prayers do not save you. As a matter of fact, when we look at this guy here by the name of Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a teacher of the law, and he was still blinded to the way of salvation. And so it's the work of God sovereignly in us that brings us to salvation. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must understand the nature of the new birth. And so the first thing we have to understand, we have to understand the necessity of the new. We need to be born again. If we're going to see the kingdom, if we're going to experience the kingdom, if we're going to enter the kingdom of God, something has to take place sovereignly. God has to wake us up. The second thing is let's talk about the nature of this new birth. Let's look at verses 6, uh, John chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. It says this, it says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? And do you not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Three things. The nature of this new birth. Number one, the new birth is spiritual. Number two, the new birth is mysterious. And number three, the new birth is real and trustworthy. Now hear me. The first thing that we find here, Jesus teaches what? He says, what is born of the flesh. Look at verse six. It says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so the first thing we understand is that being born again, the nature of being born again, it is spiritual. It is a spiritual birth. Remember what we learned. We learned that we are all born into sin. Therefore, we are all what? Dead in our trespasses. Obviously, there are people that are walking around on this planet. They look very much alive to you, but they are spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. And so the first thing about being born again is that it is something that is spiritual. The second thing that Jesus points out is he says this. He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. The second thing is Jesus teaches that no one knows how the spirit works salvation, but he does. It's called a miracle and it is mysterious. Nobody knows where the wind is coming from, where it's going to end. Nobody knows how, how that happens, but you know what? You feel it. Ladies be like, yes, I do. When they roll down the windows and I just finished fixing my hair, hello? All right. See, I don't have that problem because I'm aerodynamic, but nonetheless, you know, so, I mean, reality is, right, there was a point in time when I did have hair, you know, and I wanted to fix it up and, you know, keep it, keep it tight, and guess what I didn't do? I didn't roll the window down. Hello, Right? And so you feel the wind, right? You, you don't know, you, you, don't, you don't see it, you know? You don't know where it started. I mean, obviously when you're in a car, you're driving in that direction, creating your own wind. But here's the truth. The truth is that we don't know where it's coming from, where it's going. So how is someone born again? It's not something I can figure out, that I can pinpoint. It's something that is mysteriously done by God. It is a miracle of God. That's what it is. And then the third thing that Jesus goes on to say, when Nicodemus responds in verse 9, he says, how can these things be? Now look at what Jesus says. He says, Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? And do you not know these things? In other words, he's shocked. He's like, man, you should know these things. You've been reading these prophecies. You're teaching the people of God. You have it all together. You have all the answers. And you don't know these things? goes on to say to him, he said, most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Who is this we and our? He's talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God, they are witnessing. They are communicating the truths that are there, right? And then the, the next thing he says in verse 12, he says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus couldn't even grab, wrap his head around the thought of this wind and not understanding that. And Jesus is like, man, if you can't get that, how are you going to get spiritual stuff? Oh, you want to be deep. You can't even handle the wind. Hello. You can't even handle just this little analogy that I'm giving you here. He's like, how are you going to do that? And he goes on in verse 13, he says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up, I'm sorry, we'll get to that verse in a moment. But he says, he, what he's pointing out here is he's saying, look, my testimony is sure. What I'm saying is real. And here's what I want you to understand about being born again. When I talk about being born again and talk about getting new life, what I want you to know is that God really gives you a new heart. Are you here? God really gives you new desires. God really gives you a clean slate. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are no longer worried about the judgment to come because you are looking forward to what? The eternity with him. You're not worried about hell because you are overwhelmed by his grace and his love. That's the reality here. Hello. 
What happens is when we are born again, we are given new life. God gives us this new heart. God gives us this new way of thinking and he continues to renew it and continues to deal with us and continues to make us more and more like him. That's what God does when he, when he says that we are born again. It's not some fictitious thing that, you know, or it's just some mystery that we can't understand. Listen, you may not understand it, but just like the hair situation, you know the wind blew because your hair moved. Hello? Is the same way you know you've been born again because your heart moved. Because your soul moved. Because something changed inside of you. And listen, everybody's experience is different. Some people's experience has been progressive. You've walked there through time. It wasn't like a one-night thing like for me when I met Jesus one night. I mean, my life was radically changed. Some of you are being radically changed step by step by step. It doesn't make your experience any less real than someone who has a radical transformation and I can point to a date and a time and a situation that occurred. Listen, you may not have that, but I can tell you what, there's a guarantee there's something happened inside of you. And here's what I want you to know. If you don't have that kind of testimony, what I mean by that is that there's really nothing going on inside of you. You really don't hunger for God. You really don't pursue God. You really don't desire God. God is calling you today to put your faith and your trust in him. He's calling you today to open your heart to him. He's calling you today to open your eyes. He's calling you today to trust him with your life and believe that he wants to give you new life. Understanding the nature of the new birth should leave us in awe of God, not in disbelief or doubt. It shouldn't be like, oh man, this is something that can't happen for me. Listen, the new birth is for everyone who will accept the offer. Are you here? New life is for everyone who will accept the offer, which will bring me to my last point. Say this with me. We must accept the basis of the new birth. Let's look at verses 14 and verse 21. He says here, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Now listen to this. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, and that they have been done in God. See, the third thing is that we must accept the basis of this new birth. Verse 14 sums up the rest. Here, 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 is, here is the basis for the new birth. It is the gospel that you hear week in and week out. It is that Jesus had to die for our sin. Our sin separates us from God. We are separated from God. Everyone in this place starts off in the same exact position, separated from God. Because of what? Because of sin. And what happens is somebody has to die in order to do what? To rectify the problem. In order to fix what has been broken. 
The relationship between God and man is broken because of sin. We're all, all of us. And here's the thing. Because of our sin, we are on our way to a place of condemnation. The condemnation that he's talking about here is eternal condemnation. This condemnation, it's there. All of us on our way there, but Jesus dies. He says the Son of Man must be lifted up, right? The same way that Moses lifted up this serpent, right? And what he's talking about, he's going back to the book of Numbers chapter 21, and he's talking about a scenario and a situation that happened while the children of Israel were traveling through the desert. What happened to them was they were complaining about God. They were, compl they, they were never satisfied. Sounds like some of us. No matter how good God is to us, we're still never satisfied. We're still never happy. We, can't, we complain about this one, complain about that one. This is how the children of Israel were. No different than us. Complaining. And as they were complaining, God, you know, because God is entitled to being upset. Hello, somebody. I know some of us think that God can't be mad because God is love. Yeah, God is love. God is love. God is also holy. He is also pure. And he is, he is long-suffering, long-suffering, long, I mean, for a long time he will suffer and he will be patient with you. But it doesn't mean that there will never come a day that you are going to have to reckon for your stuff if you don't get right with him. And at this point was a time of reckoning and God released these fiery serpents that were biting the people. And when these fiery serpents bit the people, these people got sick and they started dying and they came back to Moses and they recognized because of their sickness, because their death, they were like, we have sinned against God, pray for us. It's sad. Sometimes we got to go through hardship in order to recognize how badly we need God. And Moses is told by the Lord, make this serpent, put this serpent up. And he put this serpent up, this bronze serpent. And anyone who looked at the serpent, they were healed immediately. If they were bit by a serpent, they looked at the serpent, they were healed. It's, it, it, it's exactly what happened. And Jesus goes back and he compares himself to what? To that same serpent. He says that in, in verse 14. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now look at this, verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so here it is. It sums it up. Jesus must die. He must be lifted up and in death and resurrection. He must die this death for our sin. And that way he does what? He pays for our sins for us. Dies in our place. And that way we can do what? So that way we, we can look upon him and we can trust his work. We can look upon him and we can trust his sacrifice. We can trust that his sacrifice was enough for every one of our sins. The worst of our sins. The sins that we think God can never forgive us for. Jesus died for. He dies in our place. The second part of the equation is that you and I have to believe. And again, belief is not just a vocalization, I believe, no. Belief is believing to the point that my life is changed. Believing to the point that I am turning away from one lifestyle to live a totally different life. That is what it means when we talk about believing that if he would, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And verse 16 is a verse that is familiar to everyone, and so I won't spend a whole lot of time there, but it says this, it says, for God, say, for God. I want you to notice it all starts with God. In the beginning, God created everything. In the beginning of this book, we learned that Jesus was there in the beginning. And here, our salvation, the motivation for our salvation is in what? It is in the magnitude of God's love. 
For God so loved, say so loved. He so loved the world. He loved the world, not just one person, not just a few people, all of his creation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, say whoever, Listen, this is a universal invitation. Salvation is not universal, meaning not everyone is going to respond to the invitation, but this is a universal, global to everyone, whoever will believe. Whoever will believe. If you're sitting here and you haven't believed, you are one of those whoever's. If you will believe, he will save you. See, here's the thing. No one has yet to show me the person whom God rejects who comes to him in faith. God doesn't reject anyone who comes to him in faith. We reject him. He says in verse 7, he says in verse 17, he said, for God did not send his son. He said, well, let's, let's finish verse 16. He says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. They should not perish. It doesn't mean you're not going to die physically. It means you will not die spiritually. It means that when you breathe your last breath on this side of the dirt, that's not the end. All that is is a comma. A turning of the page. The next chapter begins. Eternity eternity starts the moment you put faith in Jesus in your life. But it's just a continuation. That's what he says. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Salvation is only possible through whom? Jesus. It is only possible through him and his work. Verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned. So if you believe in him, If you put your trust and your faith in Jesus, you don't have to worry about eternal judgment. You don't have to worry about suffering eternity. You don't have have to worry about being separated from God. Why? Because you believe in him. So you shouldn't be walking around here fearing. You should be around here rejoicing. You should be the most happy of all people because I believed, and guess what? My eternity is secured in Christ. Hello. That's That's pretty exciting for me. That it's not my perfection, it's not my performance, it's not because I'm so great. It is because he is so great, because he is so awesome, that I am able to have this eternity in him. That I am able to have this rejoicing in him. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Now look, this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world. Remember what we talked about a few weeks back? The light is always shining. The light's always shining. The light came into this world. Jesus came into this world. The light's shining in your life as you're hearing the preaching of the word or someone's witnessing to you. When you're witnessing to people out there, the light is shining. But look at what he says here. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. See, this is the condemnation that the light came The exit was shown. The way was made clear. But what happened? Men love evil. See, for me to walk in the light, I got to leave my junk. See, because if there's one thing that we know is I can't take all of this stuff with me and be a Christian. 
Can't do it. See, the greatest hindrance, the greatest obstacle to anyone being born again is their love of sin. There is one thing, one thing. Listen, you can, I, I had all the excuses on the, on, on the planet. My, 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 this, this is my favorite one of all. My favorite one of all. I don't want to be a hypocrite like everyone else. Y'all heard that a couple times, I'm sure. You know what they're saying? I don't want to let go of my sin. That's what they're saying. Don't get offended. It's telling, hey, man, we're all hypocrites. We're forgiven. Hello. We all fall short. That's just the reality. Only thing is I acknowledge it. You don't. I'm just saying. But here's the truth. The truth is, it is because you love sin that you won't come to Jesus. It is because you love your sin. It is because you love to break God's laws. That's what it means. Sin is breaking God's laws. You love to violate God's laws. You love to do your own thing. That's the only reason why men don't come to Jesus. That is the condemnation, that the light is shining. The offer is there for everyone. But the question is, are you going to accept the offer? Are you going to say, man, that sounds really good. I receive a new life. I receive a new heart. I receive a new start. God no longer sees me as his enemy. He sees me as his son or his daughter. God gives me the, all of this. But man, I got to let go of this. Listen, I want to tell you something. If you haven't let go of all of that, I just want you to know, take hold of this. This is much better. Amen. I was holding on to a lot of stuff before I came to Jesus. I thought I, I, thought I was losing something. And let me tell you something. I am so amazingly grateful that he enabled me to let go. Amen? So here's the question. I said that was my last point. So here's my closing question for you. First one is this. Are you a born-again believer? I want you to think about that for a moment. Are you a born-again believer? Do your desires Say, yes, I'm born again. Do your pursuits say, yes, I'm born again? Does the purpose of your life say, yes, I'm born again? You need to ask those questions seriously. Because this really is life or death. All jokes aside. Because there's a lot of people that sit in churches and they're not born again. It's a sad reality, but that's why Jesus says, many will come unto me in that day and say, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? Did we not do these great works in your name? And he would say, part from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. That is going to be a sad day. And it doesn't say a few people, it says many. So the first question is, are you a born-again believer? The second question is this, are you walking in the light as such? Because there's one side of the token, which is, I'm born again. But then something happens to us when we become a Christian. We're supposed to continue to walk in the light. We're supposed to continue to live our life in a manner that is an open book. It doesn't mean that everybody got to know your business. It means that you live a life that is true. You live a life of integrity. You live a life of honesty. And so if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, you're not a born-again believer Today is the day for you to repent of your sin. Today is the day for you to put your faith in him. 
Today is the day for you to do that and to walk out of this place a new creation and to be prepared because in a couple weeks we're going to have a baptism service for you to be baptized and make a public confession of your faith in Christ. Today's that day for you if you're not born again. If you're not born again, today is that day. And if you are born again, but you've been hiding in the shadows, if you are born again, but you've been living a life in the dark, you're not living a life of integrity, today's the day for you as well to repent and say, God, I don't want to live a hypocritical life. I don't want to live a life of double standard. I want to live for your glory, for your honor, in the light of your gospel. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today, Lord God, thanking you so much for the love that you have shown us. Thanking you so much, God, for the power of your word and the power of your gospel that is able to save to the uttermost, God. And Father, I pray for those in this place that do not know you, God, for those that are not born again, for those that are not your children yet. God, I pray that today that they would put their trust in you, that today that they would accept the sacrifice and the invitation that you give them. I pray against every doubt. I pray against every thought that would try to hinder them. I pray that right now, God, that you would let them know that you want them to be yours, that you speak to them, God. And I pray that they would respond to you today by recognizing their sin, recognizing their separation from you, recognizing that you are the only Savior, that they would ask for your salvation and that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, God. Father, and I pray for those that are born again. I pray for those that are your children, God. But Lord, they're hiding in the shadows living in hypocrisy, living a double life, God. Father, have mercy on us. Help us to live in, in the light of the gospel. Help us to live as light that shines brightly in this world. Deal with our unconfessed sin, my God. Deal with those areas in our heart that we think that no one sees, but you do. Deal with those behaviors, Lord God, that are a reproach to you, God, that are dishonoring to you, Lord, that have some in bondage today. Lord God, break those chains as only you can, God. Father, today, let freedom reign. Be glorified in our lives. We pray this in the great name of Jesus. Someone said, Amen. come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.